0: The Time Space Compassion podcast includes a range of different perspectives which may not always represent the views of Suicide Prevention Scotland or the organisations that work with us. These podcasts provide what we believe is an engaging way to support dialogue and help promote positive change in preventing suicide. Hello and welcome to Time Space Compassion, the podcast brought to you by Suicide Prevention Scotland, the community of people and organisations, working together to deliver the Scottish Government and COSLA's new suicide prevention strategy. I'm Laurence Brodie and over this limited edition series, we're going to explore time, space, compassion. Three simple words that are a key part of the Creating Hope Together strategy. I'll be joined by academics, professionals from a range of settings and those with lived and living experience. Time, space, compassion is an approach which encourages people and organisations to embed these principles in how they support others at a time of crisis. You can learn more on the Scottish Government website. On this episode, I'm joined by the Scottish Recovery Network's Louise Christie, Penumbra Mental Health's Jane Cumming, Rebecca Hoffman from LGBT Health and Wellbeing, Sharon Thomas joins us from the Lighthouse Perth, Kerry Smith from the Glasgow Complex Needs Project, And Sam H is Robert Nesbitt, and we're going to discuss lived experience, peer support and co-production. Our discussion opened up with some really interesting themes ranging from co-designing mental health services to how peer support works in different societal groups. Now, before we start today's episode, we'll understandably cover themes that some of you may find distressing. You'll find a range of useful links in the show notes, and at the end of the episode, I'll give you some key telephone numbers that may be helpful if you are struggling or know someone else who is struggling with their mental health. Penumbra, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, pretty much a third of your staff um, have lived experience in peer worker roles. How does that help? Because I mean, I, I sat at your conference um, with staff, what, five months ago, and there was a project there in Aberdeen that was being presented that was that had been built around the principles of time, space and compassion, uh, if you like. Tell us a, a little bit about that.
1: Um, well, I think actually that most of our staff have lived experience, but we do have peer roles. Um, over a third of the people who work for us are in peer roles, certainly people who are in the, the, the sort of delivery, support delivery roles are in peer roles. And it's just been such a, massively important part of the culture and approach of our organization for for quite a long time for all the reasons that louise and rebecca have spoken about that if part of what it is that we want to do is make a difference in in people's lives we have to the start point has to be about where each person is at in their life and part of that process is about listening to the people with lived experience so the time time space compassion person centeredness doesn't come by accident. so if you part of what we as an organization are looking to do is to to design solutions like the service that you're mentioning or other and in fact across the board, I mean, I think we know we're talking about time space compassion in the context of suicide prevention, but you know for me it's you know it's and should be endemic in all all our interactions, whether that's at, at work or just on a personal level, on a daily basis, if we are designing these kind of solutions, then we have to start with the voice of lived experience. Or else that solution is not going to be the the right solution. Um, you know, um, I was listening earlier to a discussion, um, an amazing discussion actually, um, with psychiatrists um, who were talk- who've, who's actually changed. Like they've been innovative in terms of changing their approach. Um, but also talking about the need for, for further change within for example you know the NHS and listening how listening to the voices of lived experience would be part of that that process but what if people with lived experience led that process what if, what if our services were designed by people who have lived experience what if you know all of that what if it, it's not about consulting what it's what if it was about leading You know, what kinds of innovation would that bring to how we do? And that, you know, that is what we're trying to do um, because, you know, we're part of that, you know, we're part of that system. And if we can make small steps in in that direction, then hopefully that kind of begins to to show that it, it, it can be done.
0: Now, delving deeper into the importance of lived experience, Sharon Thomas from The Lighthouse Perth explains how they take the input of young service users... To help design their services and Kerry Smith from Glasgow Complex Needs Project lifts the lid on their exit surveys. Sam H's Robert Nisbet hammers home the importance of empowering lived experience and truly valuing that input.
2: As a relatively new charity because it's only been three years that we've been delivering our service so we've learned as we go along and who we learn from is the young people using our service We have actually changed everything, all our paperwork. Our safety planning, we used to have a safety plan and our young people told us, we don't like that question on the safety plan. We don't like this. I'm a self-harmer and that's kind of talking more suicide. I will never be suicidal. And we thought, why don't we have two? So we now have a dual safety plan and the kids are much more responsive to it. And now they believe that it's theirs and they own it and they're much more likely to let us share it with individuals who are going to be in their safety network, which has been amazing. Our whole crisis management plan that we work with them, during the summer we revamped the whole thing based completely on the feedback from our young people who use it, because they're the ones that know how if it works for them. They're the ones that can tell us if they understand it properly and if it's fit for purpose, and yeah. that's how we need to give them a voice and listen to them.
3: I think that's been really interesting for me to hear how both of your services are working on co-design because I think our service is coming at it from a different place because we are offering a service to people who may not have anywhere to sleep that night. So it is really their most basic health and social care needs we're trying to engage people with and um, so we've been thinking really hard about how we can get co-design in there because we don't want to put too much load onto the people we work with but we want them to be involved in it so one thing we have um, been introducing recently is an exit conversation so for when people have gone through our services and we've linked them back up to locality services that can at the moment we're just starting to get outcomes that's maybe been a year for some people but we're making sure we're taking that time at the end of that year for someone who was involved in that initial engagement process to go back out and speak with the person and ask them what was good about the service that you had what was what was bad what could we have done better what were you disappointed in and actually give the person validation as well and i thought and wish wish them well for the future which actually many of the people we work with have never been wished well like good luck We, we hope for you we hope we hope the best for you we hope that life continues to go well for you um and what we would love to do is to use that feedback to then inform our service development but i think um yeah, that's definitely an area we'd like to keep working on. So it's great to hear it from you guys how you're doing it.
4: But, but I think that's I think that's hugely important though because it's the, the thing about co design is that you always have to ask yourself the question, are we doing this in the right way? Yeah. Are we involving people? How are we involving people? Do they feel valued? Do they feel connected to what we're trying to do? So I think being in that space, it's really great to hear because it's a journey as well, Yeah, you know, from that exit strategy, but what you learn from that person as you go along. The other thing that I think is really important within that space is you also have to think about where that person comes from in terms of what they can offer. Rory O'Connor was talking today, that sense of belonging and contribution. Now, You can set up a co-production group and you can do it. But the question you've got to ask yourself, are we doing it in a tokenistic way? Or are we really validating that voice? But what we've found is that you also have to support people to see sometimes and hear the contribution that they've made. We often hear in our work around the changing room, men turn around and say, I'm not really offering anything. And you suddenly go, no, wait a minute here. You've actually gave your voice here look at the way that you did this, look at the way that you've done that. You've helped us to think about this point. So we have to help people to understand that voice within that space and the contribution at different levels. And be, again, I can't help but use this word, we need to be really intentional. We really need to think about how we do that and the way that we empower the value in in those contributions because they're massive.
0: We believe that if everyone understood the key issues surrounding suicide prevention, we would be able to help so many more people. You can find some brilliant resources on the United to Prevent Suicide website. Check out unitedtopreventsuicideorguk forward slash resources. On the subject of peer support, Rebecca Hoffman from LGBT Health and Wellbeing explains how they use the method to provide targeted assistance to the many groups of people that they serve. Also, Louise Christie from Scottish Recovery Network reminds us that time, space, compassion doesn't just happen. It's by designed and strengthened through practice, through methods like peer support. What would you say representing a community and lots of communities <laughs> within that who uh, are often marginalised?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, I totally I agree with what you're saying and I think traditionally, I know for the LGBT community, LGBT people, myself included, as a queer person, look internal to our own communities for support. And I think it's twofold. There's the fear of experiencing discrimination or of someone not understanding your identity. And then there's the reality of that having historically happened or that happening to you in future. And I think it's a, it's a really difficult one. And, you know, we are so open and encouraging of working with organisations within the mental health sphere and beyond on LGBT equalities issues and barriers because that one that I mentioned there fear how do you tackle fear of discrimination as a barrier when that is influenced by the socio-political context that we live in today in Scotland and the UK you know it's it's a really big question but I think this discussion today and sitting here with colleagues in the sector it is really having these open and honest conversations about this is who we want to be and this is who we are you know ideologically but how do we actually action that and ensure that that is sort of rolled out and that people feel comfortable and feel as though our services are for them and I think part of that is making it clear that your services are for people from minority groups and that again is twofold it's ensuring that there's that representation internally and then also ensuring that your resources can cater to those groups. And I think, yeah, it'll be different for all minority groups. You know, it's not a monolith, but I'll pass on.
6: What really strikes me is that, much and all it'd be lovely, time, space, compassion doesn't just happen. This is really, this takes a lot of time and thought and it takes change make it happen and I totally agree with Jane that there's lots of people with all the greatest intentions but we know from our work with people who have tried to access services or access services that it's not happening even when they say look the practitioner was really nice seemed a nice person but it's not happening to look at it another way is we do a lot of work around peer support groups and on one hand people might think oh that's just a group of people getting together there's something common." And isn't that all nice? Or some people think, oh, that might not be very safe. What they don't realise is the amount of thought and structure that goes into a good peer support group. So time, space and compassion happens not by accident, but by design. It may feel informal, but it's designed in formality. So people who run peer support groups are very aware of how they use the time, how they start the group how they hold a space where people may be talking about difficult things and share that with the group and share it with, not for the group, and then how they use the space at the end so people can leave with a sense of hope. And then again, it's about that idea of the space and how everybody feels equal in the group and about practising compassion, not jumping into advice, but validating, supporting and encouraging people and sharing your stories in a way that is not, this is what you should do. So what I would say is, that we need to be thinking not about, oh, they're not doing it, we're doing it, is how can we all really work hard to design this into what we do? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's what's needed. Um, And it's not good enough to say we're person-centred. We've got time, space and compassion. It doesn't happen unless you make it happen.
0: And Rebecca, I suppose then, it's thinking about the idea of nothing for somebody without that person uh, being involved and if if trust is to be built up and fear is to come down yeah. um, then it's not about prescribing services and responses to people within LGBT communities but to have them involved in creating the answers.
5: Yeah yeah no I definitely agree and I think just to sort of jump off of what you were saying as well we frequently discuss that for something to be truly person centred, it has to be equalities competent and you have to be able to deliver that affirmative care to someone. And with, with regards to LGBT people, that is LGBT competence and understanding of the key issues and the impact of minority stress. And you know, that, that applies to people with intersectional LGBTQI identities as well.
0: A really big thank you to my guests on the podcast. I was joined by the Scottish Recovery Network's Louise Christie, Penumbra's Jane Cumming, Rebecca Hoffman from LGBT Health and Wellbeing, The Lighthouse Perth's Sharon Thomas, Kerry Smith from the Glasgow Complex Needs Project, and Sam H's Robert Nisbet. Thank you to you as well for listening to Time Space Compassion brought to you by Suicide Prevention Scotland. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health or is feeling suicidal, please don't hesitate to ask for help. You can contact your GP, call NHS 24 on 111. The Samaritans are available on 116 123 or breathing space can be found by dialing free phone 800 83